Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am super grateful for you and glad you're joining me here on the podcast. The aim of the Bible in Life is to provide what I call blue jeans theology. And by that, I mean Bible teaching, theology that is just expressed in the language of everyday life, rooted in everyday life, connected to everyday life, with the whole goal to help you and me and whoever would listen to these podcasts really follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. And so that's what we're all about here on the Bible and Life podcast. And uh, that's why I'm excited that you're here, because there's nothing more important, nothing greater than following Jesus and abiding in his word so that we would know him and we would be like him in this world. And so glad you're here. Thanks for joining me on this particular episode. And before we jump into this episode, I just want to say a special thanks to those of you who make this ministry possible. This whole ministry is funded by the generosity of people that uh, see the vision of it, value what's going on. And so thanks a ton to those of you who support the Bible in life, support the listener's commentary, and all that goes with it. May the Lord bless you for your generosity. And if you've been blessed in some way by the Bible in Life podcast and feel prompted to join the team of supporters, there is a link down in the notes below where you can uh, set up a one-time or a monthly donation. All right, over the last uh, few weeks, we have been in a series where we're just looking at what does it look like to live a Jesus-centered life? What does that mean? And we've been exploring various components of what that means. And in this particular episode, I want to focus on our life's pursuits, our life's goals, our life's ambitions. And we all have them. We all have various goals or pursuits of some sort. And they start when we're young and they really continue through our adult life and they can morph and they can change over time. And maybe when we're young, you know, it's it's to go to college so that we can get a degree or maybe we're just super athletic. We're into sports and maybe your life's goal when you were young was uh, you wanted to get a scholarship to a college so you could play sports at some college. And you knew maybe it wouldn't go beyond college, but you just loved it and you wanted to play. And so, uh, you you know, and that was your goal. And you worked super hard at your, your craft of whatever sport it was. and or, or maybe after college, right, you started your career and your goal was to work up through this company and, uh, you know, in some sort of way become a senior partner in the company or uh, you, you climb the corporate ladder or maybe your goal was simply to be a stay-at-home mom and you, uh, you're, you wanted nothing more than to be able to pour into the life of your kids as a stay-at-home mom and you and your husband have worked hard to make that possible or maybe your goal was uh, to have, uh, you know, to be a teacher or whatever it is, right? Like we have all these different life pursuits, life goals, and they, they adjust and they change over the course of our, our life. And we might even have some things that are just dreams that if everything worked out just right, right, this is what we'd really want from life. And we all have these kinds of things. Now, here's why I bring this up is because in a Jesus-centered life, All these different aims and pursuits and goals are actually united together by one central goal, one hub goal, one central pursuit that actually shapes and governs and influences 
all the other pursuits. It influences how we're going to pursue those pursuits. It's going to influence how we carry out those pursuits and why we do it. In a Jesus-centered life, there is one overarching life goal, one overarching aim of life. And what is that? Well, the Apostle Paul, I think, states it very clearly for us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. And in context, Paul is thinking of all the privileges and achievements of his upbringing. He grew up, from his perspective, in a privileged environment. He grew up as a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. He grew up in a family that was devoutly Jewish, taught him the scriptures, worked hard to help him learn how to obey the scriptures. He grew up in a fully Jewish home with all sorts of privileges and achievements. And as he got older, the achievements came in with his schooling and how, how devoted he was to learning the Torah and studying under a rabbi. And so he grew up with all these privileges and achievements from his upbringing. And as you look back over your life, and I look back over my my life, our upbringing provides us with both obstacles and opportunities, right? All of us have them. And there's certain things that are gains to our upbringing, where we grew up, who raised us, what opportunities came about as a result of where we grew up. And so maybe your upbringing brought a lot of obstacles. Maybe it brought a lot of opportunities. Paul is looking back at his, and what he sees are just privileges and achievements, opportunities left and right because of his faithful, devout Jewish upbringing. But what he says here is, whatever things were gained to me, all those privileges, all those achievements, all the things that I I put in the gain column of life, asset column of life, now that he's met Jesus, he says, I've counted all those things lost. Now that I've come to know Jesus and I've walked with him, I met him, all those things that were in the gain or asset column, I've moved over to the liability column of life. I've counted them as lost for the sake of Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish. And so not just his his opportunities and his successes and all that came about because of his upbringing, but everything, anything else uh, in life that you might think would be a gain, that you might think would be a, this is what I have to have. Oh man, if my whole life worked out, this is what I want more than anything else, right? doesn't matter what it is. He says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Compared to knowing Jesus, he says, anything else in life is actually a loss. There's no comparison. doesn't mean it's all a bad thing. There's a lot of good things that um, we can enjoy and we can celebrate in life. It's just, if you had to choose between those things, even the good things, those things in Jesus, if you had to choose between them, Paul says, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. The, the value of Jesus is so much greater, so much higher, so much more inc- incredible that anything compared with that is like a loss. One of the ways I like to illustrate that is, what if, what if you had, say, a suitcase full of a million dollars? And it's like, this is, you've got all of this. I mean, that's a lot of money, a million bucks. Who wouldn't want that, right? And And yet, Somebody comes along and offers you a suitcase with a billion dollars 
five billion dollars. It's like there's no comparison. All you have to do to get the billion dollars is just hand over the million dollars. Would you do it? Well, yeah, of course. There's no comparison. And for Paul, that's the way he views knowing Jesus. So whatever it is in life, um, whatever good things, great things, things that would have been uh, worthy things in his life, he says there's just no comparison to them and the surpassing value of knowing uh, living in union with and relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then he says for himself, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rub- as rubbish, right? Like Paul says that in, that in his own life, like he actually has lost an awful lot for the sake of Jesus. And he did. He lost uh, his social group, his upbringing. He's been kicked out of the synagogue. He's had physical suffering and difficulty, right? Like, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish. And I've mentioned that word in several places on other podcasts where I've talked about this passage uh, when I studied Philippians 3 on the uh, listener's commentary. But that word rubbish is just a fun word, skubala in Greek. And it's the idea of worthless filth. It's rottenness, like the grapes that fall from the vine at the end of the season never get picked up and turn into that kind of slimy mush underneath the grapevine at the end of the season. Food that gets forgotten in the back of the refrigerator uh, and uh, the Tupperware container, right? And it's stuck in the refrigerator for weeks or months. And all of a sudden you you find it. It's like you don't even want to open the container. You're just going to throw the whole thing away because it's so nasty. That's what he says. He says uh, that when he looks at everything he's lost in life for the sake of Jesus, it's like it's no big deal because it's all worthless filth compared to the, the, the true treasure that Jesus is. Now, what's the purpose of counting all things as lost? What's the aim or the goal of that? Well, he goes on and he says this. He says, I've counted them all as rubbish so that I might gain Christ. That's what he wants more than anything else. I want to gain Christ. I'm willing to give up everything else for the simple fact that I should gain Christ. That's the goal. That's the purpose of counting everything as loss. I want to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, derived from keeping the Torah that comes out of that covenant. But I want to have a righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So not my own righteousness, but a God-given righteousness. And that God-given righteousness comes on the basis of faith, uh, specifically faith in Christ, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death so that somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the aim. That's the goal, that I might gain Christ, that I might know Christ. And he says, when I, I might know him, I might know the power of his resurrection at work in my life now, that life or death works in us, Paul says in Corinthians, so that life might work in you. He wants to know this in his own life and the fellowship even of his sufferings, the partnership with his sufferings, so that his life could be shaped around Jesus' self-sacrificial, self giving death where he lays down his life for others with the hope that some someday some way he will attain to the resurrection from the dead so what's the goal what's the purpose of counting all things in life what's the great ambition for paul well he he wants to gain christ be found in christ he wants to have righteousness through christ he wants to simply know christ 
Paul's goal is being so united with Jesus that he even partners with him in sufferings and is shaped around his death. His life is, in his his thinking, this is his aim. He wants to be united with Jesus, intertwined with Jesus, joined and connected and mingled together with Jesus, Christ in me and me in him, so that our lives are caught up together. For Paul, that's the whole aim of his life. And that's what he's actually modeling for you and for me, is that the whole aim of our life is to live in deep, deep union with Jesus. That that's everything that Paul pursues. In fact, he goes on, he says in verse 12, not that I've already grasped it all. I'm pursuing all of this. I'm running after all this. This is what I want my life to be all about. I haven't totally arrived yet. Not that I've already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but he says, I press on. I press on so that I may take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ. So he says, I press on so that this very reason that Christ took hold of me so that I could know him and live in union with him, have my life shaped according to his self-sacrificial love. That's why Christ took hold of me. And I am, I am pursuing that with everything I have. I'm pressing on so that I could take hold of that as well, more fully and more completely. By virtue of his example, Paul shows us not to think that we have arrived or we've gotten everything that Jesus has for us yet. We won't have all of Jesus and all Jesus has for us until the resurrection. And Paul believes that and Paul wants us to believe that. But um, we don't give up. As Jesus-centered people, we live in hot pursuit of Jesus and all he has for us. In fact, Paul goes on in verse 13 to emphasize how we carry out this pursuit of Jesus. He says in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I don't regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind all those achievements, all those opportunities, all those obstacles, right? Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, straining is the idea of that reaching forward, straining forward to what lies ahead, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so verse 12, he says, I press on. Verse 14 repeats, I press on. This is what we do. We, we keep going. We keep pursuing. We keep getting up and pursuing Jesus and union with Jesus. And the ultimate destination of that union, resurrection, where everything that Jesus has for us will finally be ours. And like Paul, that entails forgetting what lies behind, not fixating on our failures, not satisfied with our past successes as a follower of Jesus, not content uh, with even uh, our present connection with Jesus. It might be really great right now, but we want more and we're going to press on. We want to know him more. We want to live more closely in union with him. We want to be more patterned after his sufferings and even his death and, and his resurrection. And all of this is based on, Paul says, all of that is based on the fact that Christ reached out and has taken hold of us. He's called us to himself. And so his grace motivates and enables our pressing on after him. So 
what's the what's the overarching aim, the overarching goal of the Jesus-centered life? What's that thing that unites all other life pursuits and shapes and influences everything about all our life pursuits? Well, here it is. Paul has just told us, he says that in a Jesus-centered life, our life's pursuit is knowing Christ and living in union with him. That's the goal. That's the great aim of life. And that shapes all other aims. Why do we do what we do? Well, we do it as a means of pursuing Jesus and embodying Jesus right where we live. How do we do our other goals or aims? And how do we pursue those aims? Well, we do those as expressions of this great aim of knowing Jesus. And so now everything is connected to and influenced by and shaped by this one great overarching aim which is to know Jesus and to live in union with him and to have our life pattern around his life and his death and his resurrection. That's our goal, to live in deep, intimate union with Jesus. So here's my, I guess here's my encouragement to to you and really to me is maybe this week, uh, as you seek to live a more Jesus-centered life, Maybe read through this text, Philippians 3, 7 through 14. Read through it, meditate on it, uh, study and stare at Paul's example, and then look at your life and say, ask yourself this question. If my life's goal was to live in deep union with Jesus and to know him in everything I already have to do, right where I'm at. So if my life's goal was to know him in the midst of my everyday life, how would that transform what I do and the way I do it? If my life's goal was to know Jesus and live in union with him, how would that affect and shape everything you do in life, right? Like that, that's the question that grows out of what Paul writes for us here is it would filter what we choose to do and it would also filter the way we do what we have to do. And so, Uh, Perhaps this week, just carve out some space prayerfully to reflect on this text, reflect on this theme, and ask yourself the question, if my life's goal is to know Jesus and live in union with him, how does that transform everything that I have to do in life? All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray that you have a wonderful week in Jesus. I pray that you continue to press on after him, to know him, and to live in union with him. I hope you have a wonderful week in Jesus. I look forward to talking to you again next week.